You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, great to be back with you today. Before we finish up in our series, we're doing with those Every Nation churches around the world called Awesome God. As you can see, let me just give you a little glimpse of where we are going next, starting next week. And I hope you'll be here with us for this. Something brand new I'm super excited about. Never quite done something just like this. It's gonna be called What About? What About? And we're gonna be trying to speak to why someone would even believe in God. The the main questions that people have around faith, like what about God? What about Jesus? the Bible, church, objections these people have. What about what these people are saying? We're gonna be looking at, as you can see, the emotional, cultural, and rational reasons you can have, I can have for faith right now in this moment that we're living in. And so I'm inviting you to join me. I'm inviting you to invite others to join us here. And especially, especially if you have teens or college students, I'm really asking that you would invite them to join us as well. It's gonna be great. And I can't wait for you to be here for that. But, but let's finish up our time here in our series called Awesome God. Our scripture reading today is gonna be from the book of Judges chapter six. You can follow along right here on your screen or your Bible. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh. I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it, it really is you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from Ephaph of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not gonna die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is Peace, that's the reading of God's word. And all God's people said, of course, amen, amen. Yeah, hey, I've got a question to kick things off today. And here it is, here's my question. Can you think of a time when you have been brave because of your faith? 
Can you think of a time when you've been brave because of your faith? Like a moment where you, where you did something or you said something that was brave or maybe, maybe what was even better, uh, you didn't say something, you purposefully kept your mouth shut, you like intentionally didn't do something and now you're glad you didn't say or do that because it saved the relationship or maybe even kept you out of legal trouble. Yeah, can you think of a time when you've been brave because of your faith? As a high school student, and maybe this was your story, maybe this is your story. Now, as a high school student, I just went with the crowd. I wanted to be popular, wanted to be liked, and I did like about whatever it took to be that. So when I became a Christian in college, and maybe again, this has been your story. Maybe this is your story. Things began to change on the inside of me, and I began to take risks for my faith in the middle of a group of people that I really wanted to be liked by, which was my teammates at the University of Houston, where I played baseball and there was this one moment one day where I did something small and it let me see something really is different about my life now whenever we take batting practice out on our big field lots of times there'll be foul balls either hit up in the stands or maybe even out of the stadium altogether and together as a team we were responsible for tracking down every single precious precious expensive baseball but let's be honest when that ball is hit out like 100 yards across the parking lot or across the street out in the Houston heat and humidity there ain't no one who wants to go after that baseball especially when you didn't hit it yourself but uh, so here's what our coach did to motivate us and maybe your team or school or your business place has this as like a professional or educational equivalent our coach numbered all those baseballs one through 60 and at the end of every practice the team would gather around and count the numbers and if there was a ball missing whatever number or numbers were missing put together that was how many laps around the field we had to run at the end of practice our coach was also a marathoner and so he didn't care if he ran us to extinction I'm sorry I mean exhaustion uh, but somehow I had gathered this reputation as like an honest person so he put me in charge of counting those baseballs at the end of every practice and one day Sure enough, there were these two balls that went missing, like numbers four and 50, which meant that we were facing the prospect of running like five to six miles after practice in full baseball gear. And of course, this was not an exciting prospect for anyone. So here's what my brilliant, brilliant teammates came up with. Don't tell me they couldn't have been, they weren't scholar athletes. They went back into the dugout. They dug in their own bags and they pulled out two semi-new baseballs and they grabbed a Sharpie and they wrote the numbers of the missing balls on those counterfeit ones and they brought them to me and pleaded with me to accept the sacrificial baseballs and tell the coach that truly and truthfully, we had found all the missing ones. And so if you can picture the scene, here I am, the freshman, 25 other guys are around me, like literally encircling me, uh, pleading, pressuring, borderline threatening me to not, you know, to not uh, tell the coach. And I was a low man on the totem pole on the team. I was not the star. I wanted to give in so much. I did not want to run either, but I couldn't do it. My conscience couldn't take it. And so I told the coach, we're missing these two numbers. And sure enough, he ran us and we ran and we ran till guys fell over and threw up and passed out and my name became a curse word in the mouths of 25 other teammates. And I thought, I cannot go into the locker room until all the other guys have left for the day. And it, it was tough. Now, maybe, maybe that's what I should have done 
Maybe not. It's hard to say. All I know is this, that all those guys knew I was a Christ follower. I'd open my mouth at some point and acknowledge I was following someone bigger, better than myself. So I couldn't lie. And I look back on that moment and I did not think, wow, I was really brave. But I did have this thought. I thought, you know what? I did have peace in that moment. I had peace about what I was doing. And because I was at peace, I could be a little brave. Now, I know that's really a small thing. That's a fairly ridiculous moment, a really small sort of meaningless story on one level. But for me, it was a really big deal. And I like to think it made an impression on a bunch of guys who weren't following Jesus. And on top of all that, I do know that it marked a turning point in my life for me. And maybe you've got a moment or moments like that because that moment helped me see this truth. And here it is, that bravery and the peace of God are connected. Bravery and the peace of God are connected, not bravery and external circumstances. Those aren't connected. Not bravery and pats on the back. Those aren't connected. But bravery and the peace of God are connected. And so today we're going to look at that connection, the connection between the peace of God and bravery as we look at the story of a particular person who'll show us a particular truth about who the God of the Bible really is. Because after all, if you're just joining us, that's what we've been doing in this series as we've tried to build a biography of the nature and the character of God as he's revealed it in human history to people he interacts with. And as you saw from the reading, today we're looking at the life of someone named Gideon who is the most talked about judge in the book of Judges. But the judges in Judges really weren't judges. Not like we know them, no black robes or powdered wigs or gavels to bang on wooden benches with. No, they were simply leaders that God raised up in a cyclical fashion over the period of time between Joshua's conquest of Canaan and the beginning of Israel's monarchy with some names you might have heard of like Saul and King David. The judges were the in-between leaders of Israel in a morally dark time. It was a time a lot like today, as a matter of fact. Even the book of Judges says that this was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, God had given his people not to make covenants or agreements with the other inhabitants of the land so as not to be influenced by them and fall into idolatry. And yet God's people wouldn't listen. They did it anyway. And so they fell into sin over and over away from the promise they had made to serve the one true God. And so God would allow one of those people groups to oppress his own people until his people cried out, until his people repented. And then God would raise up a judge to free them. And this judge we see today, Gideon, well, he was a nobody. He was a no one. He was full of fear, full of anxiety when we meet him. And yet, and yet by the end of his story, the end of this chapter, despite nothing changing on the outside of him, despite his circumstances being no different than at first, Gideon claims that he has peace. And that peace, as we'll see, enables him to be brave in impossible circumstances. Why? Why is that? How could Gideon claim he had peace even though he was impoverished, his people oppressed and divided? Well, maybe even and better yet, we should ask this. How can we have that kind of peace? How can we be at peace even when everything and everyone else is not 
We're gonna see it's because of three ways from this passage from Judges chapter six. Let's grab them as we go. How can we experience the peace of God? My question today. Number one, here it is. We're gonna look at three of these. How can we experience the peace of God? Number one, we must acknowledge a truth. What truth is that? It's pretty simple, but let's try to find out. When we meet Gideon, of course, where is he? Well, famously, we're told he is, quote, threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon's so afraid, understandably so, of his crops being stolen yet again by his oppressors that it goes down into one of these. You can see this is an image of an ancient wine press here. You can see I mean, they would crawl down there and smash those grapes Gideon was throwing, trying to throw wheat up in the air in one of those. This would be like making your sales calls from the trunk of your car, playing basketball in a room with eight-foot ceilings. The point is it's terribly inefficient. It's crazy. It's sad. And yet it was necessary. So in this low moment here, the, the angel of the Lord, a figure we met a lot last week, but we'll come back to in a bit. The angel of the Lord says this, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, some people have thought, some commentators have said, this, you know, the angel of the Lord is sort of trolling Gideon here, like he's kind of making fun of Gideon right here. But like, like, he's kind of like, hey, how's it going, champ? How you doing, boss? You're looking real good there, aren't you, chief? Because the image is so ridiculous. And what Gideon is being called is really far from what he really is. But I don't think that's what's happening right here at all. No, I think that the angel of the Lord is saying this on purpose in order to provoke a response in Gideon and drive us to acknowledge a simple truth right here. What's Gideon's response? It's the same as yours, same as mine when things don't go our way, when things look bleak, when we've had our fill of pain, loss, and darkness. He says, oh, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? A little sarcasm, perhaps, from Gideon there. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, and here's his pain, the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, before we see how God responds to those questions and observations, let's just pause and acknowledge what we are pressed to see right here. This simple truth, that the presence of God in our lives, that the care of God for our souls, God's peace in our lives is far less connected to our circumstances than we would like. In other words, God's peace, the peace of God and our circumstances are not one and the same. See, look, look at this picture. God is standing right there in front of Gideon. He's assuring him. He's speaking to him, but his pain was so great. Gideon couldn't see that God was literally with him. He couldn't separate, not yet anyway, his circumstances from spiritual reality. He couldn't connect his heart to anything greater than what he felt right then in that moment. In a way, I hope you'll see this, God's word was confronting him. Gideon, will you believe my word to you that I am with you? Or will you only believe what you feel in your emotions or see with your eyes and your circumstances? And listen, listen, I don't wanna be too hard on, on Gideon here because if we were honest, we do this. <laughs> I do this. We essentially say this all the time, don't we? God, for me to be at peace, I need you to remove this circumstance, we don't say, no, no, we don't say, God, please make me into the kind of person who can handle 
this circumstance. Now, I've done this a thousand times over the past year. I pray, God, man, please remove the problem, remove my burden. But, but, but a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, during our fast, and maybe you had a great moment during our fast too, I sure hope so, this, this prayer sort of bubbled up in my heart. And I prayed it. And it really helped me. It set me free. And I thought it might help you as well. And here's my prayer in that moment. Sort of like what Gideon was facing a bit. He's, that's where I prayed. I said, I prayed, God, if my burden can't be lifted, then make me stronger through it. If my burden can't be lifted, then make me stronger through it. God, if my burden can't be lifted, then make me stronger through it. And as a matter of fact, even though this may seem kind of strange right now, wherever you're watching from right now, living room, car, apartment, wherever, hotel, would you just speak that out? Maybe even pray this with me right now. Go ahead and say it. God, if my burden can't be lifted, then make me stronger through it. My burden can't be lifted to make me stronger through it. See, the, the truth is to receive not circumstantial peace, not organizational peace, not even national peace, which are all good, but to receive the peace of God. We have to first acknowledge the truth that the peace of God are not one and the same as our circumstances. Now, the peace of God comes differently. It comes separately. So number one, to experience the peace of God, we acknowledge that simple truth. But number two, here it is, we also have to avoid a trap. Acknowledge the truth and avoid a trap. Back to the conversation. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. Verse 15, Gideon replied, how can I do this? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. You may have seen the movie Dunkirk. The movie Dunkirk is, all about, is a World War II film all about the true story of the incredible rescue of 300,000 British soldiers from a beach in France back across the English Channel. See, Hitler, uh, leading them to World War II, had conquered France and had the British army trapped. They were sitting ducks out open on the beach right there at Dunkirk. And the, the stakes here were clear. If the British army is wiped out at Dunkirk, England, and all of Europe fall to Nazism. So the call went out to recruit the most improbable rescue navy of all time. It was the average, ordinary British citizens who had personal boats. If you had a boat, you were asked to sail through open water across the British Channel in your little weekend cruiser and pick up as many soldiers as you could and put them on your personal fishing boat. And one character in the film who answered the call was someone by the name of Mr. Dawson. And so Mr. Dawson, along with his, his teenage son, they sailed to Dunkirk to try to save the nation. And on the way, they pick up a pivotal moment. They pick up a British sailor who was the lone survivor of a naval carrier that had been sunk by a German U-boat. And when the sailor came on board Mr. Dawson's little boat and he found out their plan, as in Mr. Dawson and his teenage boy in that little boat were sailing to Dunkirk, back to the place where the battle was, there's this great conversation that takes place. And the soldier begins to implore him, to beg him. He yells at Mr. Dawson to turn around, go away from the battle, back to England. And this is what Mr. Dawson says to him. He says, no, we have a job to do. Sailor says, job, this is, this is a pleasure yacht. You're, you're weekend sailors, not the Navy. Mr. Dawson says, there's no hiding from this, son. Soldier says, what is it you think you could do out there on this thing? You, you don't even have guns. Mr. Dawson asks him, do you have a gun? Soldier says, yes, of course, a rifle of 303. Mr. Dawson asks him, did it help you against the dive bombers and the U-boat? 
And at this brilliant question, the sailor falls silent because he realizes the truth. That bullets and machines and man-made weapons aren't what you need most in a battle. Courage is. Bravery is. See, in wartime, things like planes, ammunition, uniforms, those, those things are good and necessary. But bravery is better. And what Mr. Dawson is communicating to this soldier in shock is what I think we all need to hear right now as people of faith, as the people of God who are maybe in a kind of shock right now. That you won't win any battle in your strength alone with the weapon of your own making. See, some battles like the one Gideon was facing, like you and I are facing, like where our nation is, like maybe where we are with COVID as we face down extremism on the left and on the right, like where you may be with your marriage today or your child today or your business today. Those battles can be overcome with your own strength alone, with some natural weapon. Mr. Dawson, he didn't have a gun, but he had something better. It was courage. Courage was what, in the end, rescued 300,000 men from a beach under fire in France. See, the trap, the trap Gideon faced, and we face is this. We got to avoid it. See, the trap is we think our battles are won by our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own plan. And we look down at our hands instead of up to the heavens. And we despair as we look down as the people of God, not because God didn't love us. Oh, but it's because we've forgotten that God has promised to be with us. Look what God tells Gideon here. The Lord answered, no, 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 no. I will be with you. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that Gideon wins his battle because God's with him, not with swords, but with shields, but with torches and with horns, not with weapons of warfare, Hear this, but with emblems of worship. Emblems of worship. See, let me tell you, God doesn't need some weapon like a political party or a presidential candidate to save America or any nation. He never has and he never will. He needs the people of God. He needs you and me, the church of Jesus, filled with his holy fire, filled with hearing his word, hearing his voice, worshiping and praying, and most of all, filled first, not with the anger of man, but like Gideon, first with the peace of God. You want it today? You want peace today? Yeah, okay. Acknowledge first the truth that the peace of God and your circumstances aren't one and the same. And number two, avoid the trap of thinking the results, whatever battle you're in, are only up to you. And the peace only comes by your strength. No, it doesn't. Peace comes by knowing, experiencing the truth that the God of the universe is with you. It's with you. You say, how can I know that? Here it is. Number three. Not just acknowledging a truth or avoiding a trap, but number three, acquiring attention. What do I mean? I mean this, I mean there's here, right here in this passage, there is in this passage, the central tension of the whole Bible in one single scene. The central tension, if you'll acquire this tension, if you'll bring what's inside this moment right into your life, you can not only experience, I believe, what Gideon experiences, but you can in your own way, Become what Gideon becomes. Let's see what it is. Gideon here, he asked for a sign that God will be with him. God says, okay, sure, son. And by the way, people ask me all the time, Morgan, can I do this? Like, can I ask for a sign? I say on one hand, well, sure, you can ask for whatever you want to. I mean, doubters are always welcome in God's kingdom and people routinely get signs in the Bible, but people also routinely don't. So ask away, but that's not the point of this sign because God is after something more specific here. 
Gideon goes away to prepare an offering. He grabs a goat, he gets some bread, and he lays them before this mysterious figure, uh, the angel of the Lord, this figure who appears all throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures. The angel of the Lord seems touchable. He seems like a person, looks human, doesn't look angelic, no wings, halo, glow. You'll notice Gideon isn't initially afraid of him at all. He doesn't address him any other way than he would like an honored house guest. This person's carrying a staff like a human, but somehow, when he speaks, it says he speaks as God. So Gideon brings his offering. He sets it before this mysterious figure and the angel of the Lord reaches out and touches the offering in the rock with the tip of his staff. It says that then fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but God's told him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And from this moment on, Gideon not only experiences the peace of God, but he's filled with courage, filled with bravery. He risks everything for God and frees his people. He doesn't just not lie to his coach on a practice field. He liberates, frees all nation. Gideon's fully and finally at peace, but you say, how is that? Like nothing's changed. Like the circumstances hadn't changed. Media hadn't gone away. COVID-19 hadn't gone away. And nothing else has gone away. Of course, if you're saying that nothing's changed, you're right and you're wrong. Nothing on the outside has changed. Oh, but on the inside, everything else has. You say, how is that? How can Gideon claim he has experienced the peace of God before his enemies are ever defeated or the tide is turned? Well, what's he shown by the angel that so changes his life? Here it is. What Gideon is shown in this single scene is the resolution of the central tension, the central plot device of the whole Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament, which is this. It's the tension between law and grace, between law and grace, the tension between a God of infinite justice who thundered a generation before on Mount Sinai and who said, I swear by no means to clear the guilty and the tension between that God and the God who swore to love his people no matter what. The tension between the God who had promised to always punish sin and the God who had promised to always forgive and save. But how do you reconcile these two promises? Well, to reconcile these two promises, most of us, spiritually speaking, even in the church of Jesus, we fall into one ditch or the other. We try to resolve it by dissolving it. Almost all of us fall either into the more morally liberal view, the ditch of thinking, which says that God will always bless people, always forgive people as long as they're sorry and they're trying hard. Or we fall into the more morally conservative ditch of thinking, it says that God only blesses us if we're good and we're obedient. But this tension we see all throughout the Hebrew scriptures is on front and center in Judges because throughout Judges, God was always saying to his people, I'm gonna give you this land. I'm gonna fulfill my word to you. And yet, I'm not gonna give it to a disobedient people. What have God's people done to him? They've put him in an impossible situation. Will God finally give up his people? Because they deserve it. But then if he does that, what about his faithfulness? Or will God finally give in to his people? But then what about his holiness? Gideon sees something here that changes him. 
First Gideon sees fire coming in. See, fire is a token of God's judgment. And when that fire flared from the rock and the end of that staff, Gideon's thinking, here it comes, man. I deserve this for all my sins, all that I've done. I'm about to be consumed, which is why God's got to tell him, you're not going to die. Because Gideon thinks he is going to die. But that's not what happens here, is it? No, because not only is Gideon not consumed, but it appears that someone else has been. Because what he sees is this. For all he can tell, the angel of the Lord has been consumed as well. The fire comes. The figure takes it for him. And it's gone. And now Gideon grasps. He was more than just a man there. More than just an angel. He was the angel of the Lord whom we can see now through the lens of history. It's the person of Jesus of Nazareth in the Hebrew scriptures. It's someone touchable. Someone killable. Someone who appeared as a human but who speaks as God. And went right there into the temporary fire for Gideon. And, but then later who goes into the eternal cosmic fire of judgment for us on a Roman cross. In other words, Gideon gets a glimpse of the resolution of this tension. He sees God's holiness coming at him, swallowed up by the mercy of a divine substitute. Verse 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Christians got another word for this resolution, you know. It's the word gospel. It's the word gospel, the good news that someone else took our place, took our sin, and it is in the cross of Jesus. And only, let me tell you, at the cross of Jesus can this tension be resolved because on the cross, our sin was given to Jesus because God really cares about evil and injustice. And he hung on that cross so that his righteousness, his approval could pass to us on the cross. God's wrath was poured out on us in the person of Jesus. The punishment for our peace was put on him. Isaiah 53 says, only in Jesus can God love us conditionally and unconditionally. Only in Jesus can God maintain justice and mercy. And without either of these in our lives, let me tell you, we'll either, we'll either give in to self-righteousness on one hand because we think, man, I've done enough to deserve God's love. I'm a good enough person. I've done this or I haven't done that. At least I'm not like those people. Or on the other hand, we give in to complacency. We think it doesn't matter what I do, God's gonna forgive me. But when Gideon glimpses the gospel here, when he glimpses the tension of the holiness and the mercy of God, when he knows that God is for him, no. He isn't self-righteous, he isn't complacent, no. When he experiences the peace of God, when he knows that he has peace with God, he becomes brave. Not proud, but brave. Not morally superior, brave. Not angry, brave. Not a cultural dropout, ignoring the issues, but brave. Not vengeful, but brave. And he goes out and Gideon immediately tears down the altars of his family, the altars of his nation. He frees his people. What about you, huh? What about me? Have you ever done something brave because of your faith? Again, you know, Gideon did. But he needed the peace of God first. And so do I, and so do you, so do we. And you can have this right now by asking, we're gonna do this, asking for Gideon's angel, the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell you he is with you. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, we just come to you now as a people, acknowledging we need this. Experience afresh the peace of God. 
Gideon saw and he knew in that moment, the Lord is peace. The Lord's my shalom. The Lord is the one who makes things right, justice and mercy. It's all brought together. No one else can do this or maintain this. But you alone, Jesus, help us to be, first of all, a church that does that, individuals that do that, your people who can do that. But even above that, Lord, I'm praying as we experience your peace, and I pray we'd hear that right now, your voice just saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Though today you may be threshing your spiritual wheat in a virtual wine press, online church. You still hear that voice. I'm with you. I'm with you. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior, mighty person, brave person. Lord, you call us what we're not. What we're not. And you tell us who we are. Thank you for that. And out of that, Lord, I'm praying that bravery would come, courage would come, resilience would come, stamina would come. As we face down all the things that are in front of us, give us your peace and your courage, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.